My name is Ken. It says that on my name tag. Uh, I get to be the campus pastor here. Very excited about that. And uh, one thing that in watching the news and in everything going on, specifically back east, is I can't imagine the idea of so much wind and so much rain hitting my house that I actually have to leave. I grew up in Southern California. I've lived here. So rain and weather has not really been much of my life. Uh, But then you watch news and and you see everything going on in Houston and now in Florida, people boarding up their windows and heading out. That's something that I flat out can't relate to. Like I look at the valley, I think of what's going on with the fires, with our drought, all that stuff. And I think just like maybe like a fraction, a percentage of that wind to clear out the smoke and that little bit of rain to give us stuff that we need, not for the raisin farmers because that would mess up everything, but for the rest of us, like that would be great. I can imagine the idea of it being catastrophic just because it's never something that I've, that I've experienced. It's just not who I've been, where I've lived. So the people back there were praying for them and, and there are numerous agencies, specifically Christian agencies, who are going into that disaster as everybody else flees. Uh, and that's, that's how we are uh, involved in that. But one thing that I do experience, one thing that I can relate to, uh, is in track, it's this whole thing called the steeplechase. That was my event in college. Uh, it's a horrible race that some bad person conceived in their idea. Uh, you take a two-mile run, and then you put water jumps and stuff into it, where sometimes bad things happen. We've got a picture of what it could look like. So uh, I can look at that and laugh, because one, like that, that was me at some point. Not head first. I was more like a torso first uh, into the water. Uh, but but I, I did something like that once. I had that same pain. I shed those same tears of embarrassment. I bled that same blood. That I can relate to one million percent. And if you go on Google Images and search steeplechase fall, you will see hundreds of pictures of some variation of that. Humans that used to be running forward are now falling straight down into the water or in a few uh, instances faced first into that four by four block of wood. All of that stuff I can 100% relate to because I was there. Transition. Today we're starting the book of Exodus. Okay, and why do I say all this? Why are we in Exodus and everything going on in the world, in our lives? Why are we taking the issue of Exodus? Why are we looking at the book of Exodus? Why don't we do, why don't we do a more topical approach and look at specific instances in the Bible that speak to what's going on today? The reason is, is because God speaks through the book of Exodus. This is the second book in your Bible. If you're still trying to find it, we're going to be in chapter 1, verse 1. God speaks through that to include us and to teach us a lot of who we are today. Exodus is our story. God calls us out of our darkness and calls us into relationship. So we're going to read the book of Exodus over these next 10 weeks, and we're going to see so many aspects of who we are and who God says we are, who God sees us as his sons and daughters through a story that took place thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, because it is still our story. Ultimately, it's about God. God is the hero of the book of Exodus. But through it, God is going to remind us time and time again, page after page, character after character, exactly who he is and who we are to him. The reason in all this is because if we go through life understanding who God is, understanding who he created us to be, there is not a situation that we will encounter that God will not walk us through by his spirit and by his presence. He's saying, if you understand who I made you to be, if you understand my role that I play as Lord God, King, Creator, and Christ over your life, we're going to go through this perfectly. And the reason for that is, 
is because each person is created with a specific destiny. God says, I want you to understand who you are. I want you to understand the role that I've played in your life, the way that I have shaped you. And so he made each and every one of us with a specific destiny. Genesis 1, it's the very first pages of your Bible. It's the beginning of God's story with all humanity. He creates the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And then when he gets to creating humans on the sixth day, he says this in Genesis 1. He says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. Right there in that, we see God's ownership over us. We're not just people who got here by accident. We're people who got here by design, by plan, by purpose. God saw you. God saw your parents before you and said, out of these two people, I'm going to bring this person, and they're going to be mine. I have placed my image on them. They are not just a bundle of cells that looks great this morning. They are people that, that I own. They're made in my image. My wife and I, we have three kids. And the oldest and the youngest both uh, started the first six months of their lives with big-time weight issues. Uh, They were all very much underweight, which makes sense because if you have one small mom, you have one small dad, you get two small kids. So there there was basically nothing I could do as a dad, okay, except for hold hands when people cry, hold babies when everybody else wants to sleep. Uh, And and, uh, very early on in the doctor's appointments, I figured out a way that I could at least kind of subvertly speak into the situation, okay? I know nothing about medicine. I'm the farthest thing from a doctor possible, but I can wear short sleeves to an appointment so that when the doctor is holding our skinny little baby, I would just kind of roll up my sleeves. We know exactly where the skinny baby came from because these pythons don't make big kids. It's my way of saying these are my kids. How can you tell? Because I have PVC pipes for arms and they have PVC pipes for everything at that point. They were, they were little. I'm saying these are mine. They look like me. They act like me. They have my energy. So for those of you who help out in toddlers, God bless you. I am so grateful for you. Good luck with my son. But they're, they're mine. God looks at us the same way and says that that's not just somebody out there who, who deserves pain, punishment, or whatever anybody could throw at him. That's my son. That's my daughter. And so as Christians, when we get involved and we're called, when, when our hearts are raw to the injustice that we see around us, that's God respond, God's uh, image responding in us to say, I'm all about fighting injustice. So when we as Christians step into that fight, we're acting like our Father in heaven because God owns us. We're made in God's image. As God goes out, we go out behind him to do the work that God would have us to do because we are owned by him. We are made in his image. We reflect him. Secondly, we're, we're brought up with an identity. Talks about that. God looks at them. God created them male and female. He said, from the very beginning, you're gonna have an identity. This is who you are. You're not an accident. You're not just some bundle of cells running around. But I've given you an identity. I've given you a name. You are unique. And also God gives us his approval. He looks over all humans that he created, everything. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He looked over it all and he said that it was good. When God says it's good, you know that the answer is good. Okay, for me, I love to create things. I love to build things. I love to cut wood, stain wood, drill it together and have it become something. But in everything that I've built, if I look long enough, if I go back in my memory enough, if I inspect it enough, I find a flaw. There is always something that's a little bit off that I wish that I could fix. And the reason is, is because I'm not God. 
I'm trying my best. I'm learning. I'm applying what I've learned in previous projects onto the next project. But God isn't like that. God looks at you and it's not like, okay, I've had 10,000 years to fix people and now finally by 2017, I can make a decent human. No, God looks at all of us from the very beginning, looks at our destiny, looks at us with ownership, identity, and approval and says they are good. From the very beginning, each and every person that I made in this place is good. They reflect their Father in heaven. They're blessed with an identity. And I approve them as their creator. That's what God is saying. The thing is that we all know that each person's destiny rarely plays out like we expect. And this is where we begin to see God's God's plan, God's desire, God's hardwiring within each and every one of us for relationship. Because if all we ever had through life was God's approval, God's identity, and God's ownership, what do we do when we get into the situations where everything is broken? What do we do when we get into the parts where, where our heart hurts because things that we've done that did not turn out the way that we planned or things that have been done to us? Where, where's God in the midst of that? And it's there in the difficulty where God begins to speak, where God begins to reveal who he created us to be, where God begins to push us and to bring light into the destiny that he has for each and every one of us. And that's where we land in the book of Exodus. Is God has his chosen people, the nation of Israel, and he raises up out of them a deliverer. But before we get to that point, there's a backstory because there's always a backstory. And so Exodus chapter 1 Verse 1, it says this. I'm going to read. We're going to follow. It says, These are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. Okay, so we, we, we read that and and it's just a bunch of names. Some of them people use, some of them don't, people don't use. But it's one of those moments where if you know the backstory, hearing everything about that makes sense. Star Wars, the, the new Star Wars episode 7 came out about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. So for some of us, it's like, man, I just had my costume on yesterday. Just keep that to yourself. Just keep that part to yourself. But there's a scene that we're going to watch where it just looks like, oh, that, what, what's going on with this? But everyone who knows the story of Star Wars watches it, and you're like, this is amazing. Let's check it out right now. All right, so right there, you either got chills or you thought that dude needs a haircut and like a big time waxing, okay? That's Han and Chewie. They're coming back to the Falcon. They're coming back to their ship. I like Star Wars. I'm not dressed up in a costume guy, but I did see it opening weekend, not opening night because I'm not that crazy. My wife, Anna, cannot stand it. We watched one of the movies with, uh, with my parents and she made inappropriate jokes through the whole thing and did not honor Star Wars and then fell asleep. It's a complete night for her. But in this story, and just reading off those names and saying there are 70 people in Israel who, who went down to Egypt. Moses, the author there, he's touching back on a story that God started in a destiny that did not play out whatsoever as the people planned. 
It starts with a guy named Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old. He had no heir. He's looking at his nephew that, that is kind of a screw-up, and, and he knows that this is going to be the screw-up who inherits everything that I've created. I'm not happy about this. I want a son. And so one day God shows up to him at the age of 75 and says to him and his wife, you're going to have a son. One day you're going to have more descendants. This is at night. You're going to have more descendants than stars that you can see in the sky. And, and his wife laughs, and Abraham doesn't believe it, and he starts to, to kind of believe it, but doubt, and goes at it in a different way. But God's promise is consistent, and it's true. From you, where you're going to have all of these descendants, and one day every nation on earth is going to be blessed by you. And eventually, at, a, at an old age, after waiting and waiting for this promise to come through, Abraham's wife has a son. And that son grows, and that son has children, and so on and so forth. And and it begins this family, but it's not a perfect family. It's a messed up family. It's a family that's filled with conflict and unforgiveness and distrust and and brokenness. And, And eventually the family migrates from where they started to the nation of Egypt, and and they grow there, and they become more and more. And they slowly start to outnumber the Egyptians there. So the Egyptian government decides instead of keeping these people around who aren't like us and if if an opposing army wants to fight us, all these Israelites might join in with the other army and we're going to get wiped out. So this nation that God said one day every person on earth is going to be blessed from you, this family that started from a 75-year-old man that God said someday you're going to have a son with your 75-year-old wife, they get taken in as slaves. That doesn't sound like a blessing. That doesn't sound like a destiny that plays out the way that we would expect. And so that's where we find them in the book of Exodus. We find them in the midst of their slavery. We find them in their brokenness. And I think they can get to the, I think they're at the point that a lot of us get to in our own lives where we look at what's going on, we look at the difficulties that have come against us, we look at the stuff that we wanted to go a certain way and it's completely gone the opposite way. And we ask God, did you forget about me? Did you forget about where I am? Did you forget about these plans that we had? And if you're here in this place asking that question, you are in phenomenal company. Because this is a question that's asked throughout the Bible. Abraham, the guy that God said, you're going to have a son even though you're 75 and you're only getting older. You're going to have to wait and wait for this promise to come true. He asks the question. King David asks the question, God, have you forsaken me? When are you going to start listening to me? The prophet Jeremiah asks the question, God, I feel like you, you seduced me, you tricked me, you led me out here for nothing. John the Baptist, who Jesus says that, that there's no one on earth greater than John the Baptist, not counting himself. He asks the question, God, have you forgotten about me? Because our destiny is what we feel like God is bringing us to, rarely comes to us in a straight line. God's saying, I have a destiny, I have a plan for you. And as this happens, we see two things. The first of those is that the devil works to destroy our destiny. Works to destroy our destiny. In the story of Exodus, uh, at least for the first quarter of it, there's a guy named Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the, the tool of wickedness and evil in the story of Exodus. He's a king who rules with absolute authority. He is a president with no Congress. If he says something, that's the law. And what we see in Pharaoh is a guy who's plagued with arrogance, pride, and fear. And every decision that he tries to make to stamp out God's people, all it does is inevitably tighten the noose 
tighter and tighter around his own neck as he leads in fear and arrogance. On top of that, there's a group of taskmasters. So if the Israelites are kept as slaves, they've got bosses over them. And they've got jobs to do. They've got things that they need to get done. And they get done by punishing and being ruthless towards God's people, the Israelites. It says about them that they're brutal slave drivers hoping to crush the Israelites. And they worked them without mercy and they were ruthless in all their demands. And we see in our own lives that, that our Pharaoh is the devil and that there are things that come against us every day as taskmasters that want to beat us down, that want to get us busy, that want to get us frustrated, that want to separate us and push us away from the love that God has for us. The goal of the devil is to steal, to kill, to destroy our destiny and to do anything possible to get us out of following Jesus, get us out of believing that we are exactly who God said that we are. Whether he wants to do that through loss, whether he wants to do that through abuse, whether he wants to do that through self-hatred, whether he wants to do that even just from routine and us saying we're going to do the Christian things that we've done every single day because we feel like it's the right thing, even if we feel like the relationship is, is long gone. Wants to steal that from us, wants to steal our joy in following Jesus as much as possible. And while the devil works to destroy our destiny, God stops at nothing to protect our destiny. And that's what we see in the opening pages of Exodus, in the opening lines of Exodus. Is this nation that started out as an old man and an old woman who after 75 years of life could not have children. They wait and wait for this promise to come true and around the age of 100, they have a baby. This miraculous provision and promise from Jesus grows into a family of 70. They get to Egypt and they start multiplying more and more and more. It's the hand of God at work in a way that nobody expected. And so Pharaoh, this leader who's operating under fear and arrogance, remember I said he's got a noose around his own neck that he tightens every time he tries to stamp out God's people. He tells the midwives, the people who are there at the birth of every child, hey, we don't really care about what you do with the daughters because the, the little girls don't mean anything to us. They'll grow up, they'll marry Egyptian men, and they'll bury Egyptian children. So they don't even matter enough for us to deal anything about them. But with all of the Hebrew boys, I want you to kill them. I want you to throw them in the river. That's his plan. That's his idea of how he's going to handle God's people. And so what happens is there's, there's women who grew up, women that he looks at and says, oh, they're just women. They're, they're nothing to even concern yourself with. They don't even matter. The women decide we're not just going to fall in line with what we're being told to do. We're going to stand up for life. We're going to fight for justice for people. And so they begin to tell the Pharaoh and tell their supervisors, you know what? The Hebrew women are just too strong. They have their babies too fast. We cannot get there in time. So uh, we, we don't know what to do. It just happens too, so quick and the babies are already off. We can't do anything. So Pharaoh realizes that this isn't working. And so instead of telling the midwives, he then tells everyone. It's a law that goes out throughout the whole country. We want every little baby boy dead. And so this begins to be inflicted on God's people. And instead what happens is after the birth of Moses, Moses' mom, who is a woman, decides that she's going to take her son and put him in a basket and send him down the Nile, hoping that somebody's going to see him. And so what happens is Moses is in this little baby basket going down the Nile River, and Pharaoh's daughter picks him up. A woman, somebody who doesn't even matter, somebody who we can not concern ourselves with what happens to her because she's just a woman. A woman 
picks up the baby and looks around. What, what should I do with this? What should I do? And so Moses' older sister comes over and says, oh, that's a Hebrew baby. There's a Hebrew woman over here who would love to nurse him for you. It's Pharaoh's mom. It's another woman. God begins to work his story through five people who, quote, unquote, didn't matter at the time. The midwives, the two of them that go to Pharaoh and said, we can't stop the women from having their babies so fast. Uh, The mom who sent her baby down the river in a basket. Pharaoh's daughter who picked up the baby, who saved the baby. And Moses' sister who brought his mom to Moses to nurse him and raise him. God uses the five people who didn't matter to preserve Israel's destiny, to set up Moses' destiny. He uses five people that Pharaoh said, I don't care if they live or die, to ultimately take down the nation of Egypt. We see that God stops at nothing to protect our destiny. And as Christians and as people who are living 8,000 years after the Exodus happened, we see this happen in fresh ways every single day through the cross of Jesus Christ. That God looked at us, looked at our separation from him, and said, I'm gonna stop at nothing to bring these people into relationship with me. Have they sinned? Have they done things against me that hurt me, that are the exact opposite of how I say to live? Absolutely, but I'm not gonna let them stay in that. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to come to earth as Jesus to show them that one, there is no thing that they could ever do that is so strong, that is so bad, that it full on forever takes me out of their lives. I am permanently in the business of bringing people to myself through Jesus. That's what God says when he looks at us. He says, I'm going to fight with my own skin, with my own blood, with my own life to protect these people, to protect my people and preserve the destiny of relationship that I have over their lives. And to also speak to and remind the person who says, I don't need that, that I'm not that bad, that I'm not like insert name here that you've seen on the news. But to remind us all that, yeah, our our sin is that bad, that we have all fought against God and lost, and that there's blood that needs to be spilled to pay for our sin to remind us all that there's a destiny of relationship that God has for us and God is going to do everything he can to fight for our relationship with him. We find our destiny in Jesus and then he uses us to draw others to him. Part of stepping into our destiny and what we're gonna look at in further and further weeks is us becoming the people that God God created us to be. That happens here in the local church. That happens here as you go out into your workplaces each week. That God made each and every one of us with skills, abilities, passions that we have. And God wants to use those for people to meet Jesus. We want want that to happen nonstop here in the church. As you walked in, you got a little card that says serve on the top of it. These are areas for us to step into the places that God has already blessed us and to build up his church here at Mountain View Sunnyside. Some of you have grown up with with abilities, with desires, with passions for music. We've got a worship team where you you can use those. You've got a history of playing instruments. Now you can have a destiny of worshiping God through music because of stuff that God has already started in your life years ago. For a lot of you, you've spent time as teachers. We've got the ability to teach the next generation of what it means to follow Jesus as they grow up. You can sign up to help in kids' church. We've also got people who are really, really friendly, people who are always the life of the party, who speaking too quietly in class was never an issue for them. 
Okay, that's ushers and greeters on Sunday morning. You are there to welcome everyone who comes in. You can be as loud as you want because you are outside and you're supposed to talk to as many people as possible. It's like elementary school completely reversed because now you're supposed to be loud and obnoxious. It's great. For some of us, that's the ultimate green light that we need. If you like to work with your hands, you like to build stuff, you like to just kind of be left on your own to create things, set up and tear down crew is awesome because we come in with a job to do. We work with our hands, we build stuff, we tear stuff down, we roll it out. It's our ways to be the people that God created us to be to build up the church in doing so. But before that, before all that, God wants relationship. And whether it's the first time or whether it's coming back after a long time, God says, that's what I'm about. God sent Jesus to draw us out of our slavery, God to draw us out of our darkness and draw us into a relationship with you. And so the message that we're gonna see over and over in Exodus is that we have a destiny, something that God set up for each and every one of us. And it starts with a relationship with Jesus because at the very beginning of all of this, there's a God who sees us There's a God who loves us. There's a God who knows us. There's a Jesus who died for our sins to bring us into relationship with God who wants to lead us through every day of our lives. We're drawn out of our slavery to be drawn into relationship. 